0: Hey everyone, it's Miss Felicia J here and welcome to Love Life and a beautiful glass of red wine. This is the chapter by chapter episode. I started this podcast because of my sons and the questions that they ask me and the profound conversations that ensued as a result. I wanted to add to broadening their minds, so I suggested that they read some of the books that I love to read and that interest me. Well, that didn't quite work out as planned, so I came up with the idea of a podcast. Reading the books that I love, heard about, wanted to read, etc. etc. So here I am reading the books that I feel will inspire my sons, the rest of my children, you, and of course myself. If you have a suggestion, email me at chapterbychapter at gmail.com and we'll put it on the reading, and I will put it on the reading list rather. This episode we are reading Fifty Truths Worth Knowing, and we are currently on chapter 43. But before we begin Let's get a drink to read with. Again, I am doing some lemon water. And as I said, tune into my other podcast, Love Life in a Beautiful Glass of Red Wine, to find out why. (laughs) All right, so here we go. Chapter 43 of 50 Truths Worth Knowing. Love is bigger than squabbles. Throughout the years, the dynamics of my family seemed sort of like plate tectonics. Sure, we'd all start from the same place, have the same origins, but different groups of us would split and drift away. Instead of seas and mountains separating family members, gulfs of silence and walls of stubbornness would divide us. And like many other families, such strife ran through generations. The first time I'd realized there were such divisions was in my late teen years. As a child visiting relatives in Kentucky, one of my favorite stops was my Aunt Louise's house. I spent several summers there in my pre and early teens, helping her tend her garden and playing basketball with my cousin. Somewhere during that time, my mother and aunt stopped speaking to each other over some now forgotten dispute. When on vacation we didn't visit my aunt, and if I ever questioned my mother, she'd brush it off, usually with a, usually with a head shake and sh- silence. Once my brother and sister and I graduated graduated college and began our own little continents, my mother's personal ties moved her back to Kentucky. She renewed friendships and started a new life there. Yet despite living just a few country miles from my aunt and passing her town regu- passing her regularly in town, she still didn't speak to my aunt. The silence roared like waves for years. Then came the diagnosis. My mother had advanced lung cancer, and the prognosis was poor. She was proud and wanted to bear it herself, only telling a few people close to her. But it was a small town, and soon my aunt found out. Once Louise heard, she opened her house to my mother. My aunt went with my mother to treatments, helped by grilling doctors, and the two became close again. After a bad turn, my aunt set up a room in her house with a hospital bed and even assisted, in my, assisted my mother in bathing and getting dressed. Throughout the final days of the illness, my mother and aunt reconnected, rehashed stories about growing up on a farm and talked about their hopes for their children. When my mother died, my aunt was there, right beside her. During the days surrounding the funeral, I too became reacquainted with my aunt and introduced her to my children. She'd tell my children embarrassing stories about me growing up, and we both flip through picture books to catch up on too many years lost. Now my children and I regularly, regularly visit my aunt. There are calls, cards, and a connection that wasn't there before, but was simply waiting to be rediscovered. Whenever a loved one dies, we seek out some purpose, some reason for why things happen. When my mother, with my mother, it was clear to reunite, reunite a world. That had been divided. That's by Doug Donaldson. Chapter forty four You can be anything you can be anything you imagine. I was a shy kid, but became a fairly confident adult, at least at all at least by all appearances. Meeting people, especially in the workplace, was still a nerve wracking experience for me. I imagined that everyone else knew what they were doing and was doing it well, and I was the only one unsure and unsteady. Then one day, while heading into the office, I timidly greeted the guard at the entry to the building, and he smiled back. Emboldened, the next day I said hello to the guard again, and then even gave a nod to the guy down the hall, who responded in kind. I bumped into a colleague at a luncheon soon after, and smiled from across the room, approached with a firm handshake, and received the same in return. Before long, I was displaying a new sense of confidence among my coworkers and ultimately my formerly intimidating boss. Sure, I had to fake it to make it to really feel capable, but it worked for me. If I could have looked at things logically instead of emotionally, it would have been clear that I was doing fine on my job and had nothing to be afraid or ashamed of. But I was psyching myself out with doubts, so I pretended to be com- confident, my own version of method acting. It worked so well that I was invited to speak at an industry convention. Heading there, I happened to be on the same train platform as someone I'd met just a short time before, a former sales manager who had done countless presentations. He gave me this advice. They don't know what you're planning to say, so they won't know if you make a mistake. If you miss something in your talking points, relax and keep going. Well, I stood before the crowd and made my speech. And when it was over, knocking knees gave way to hobnobbing handshakes and congrats and requests for more information. I was one of them. In fact, I was now guiding them. I had overcome my doubts and took an internal bow for a good performance. That was by J.L. Green. Chapter 45 The world is filled with wonder. My 11-year-old daughter is still losing her teeth. Sorry, yes, is still losing her teeth. Guess what, Dad? Well, let's see. Are you getting married? No, she giggles. Then she shows me that she's placing yet another enamel chunk, a proxy for a future credit card purchase, under her pillow. So what's the tooth fairy going to bring me this time, she asks. How about Bill Gates for a new dad? My daughter's last tooth earned her a ruby and diamond encrusted gold Rolex watch. Well not really. It was from the Walmart signature collection at 50% off, but on my income, it was a splurge. Still, I'm not complaining. I remember when I was a kid, 1,050 years ago. I woke one Saturday morning to find a much-longed-for baseball mitt hanging on my bedpost. It was the same glove I'd been dreaming of the one I'd been pleading for, promising never to ask for anything ever, ever again, if only my parents would buy it for me. But my parents had repeatedly told me no. That's right, in loud capital letters, because they said they couldn't afford it. And yet, when I found it magically hanging there, courtesy of the Tooth Fairy, or so they told me, it turned that Saturday into the happiest and most memorable day of my young, innocent life. My 11-year-old daughter, though, says she doesn't believe in the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, Leprechauns, or Little Elves. She says she's too old to believe in fairy tales, but I know better. She does. We all do. We have to. Our dreams, fantasies, and wild musings are our pots of gold at the end of reality's rainbow. Sure, my daughter knows that the Tooth Fairy is just me playing a game, hiding a gift under a pillow. But she also knows, way deep down, that under her pillow, behind closed eyes, closed eyes, is a winsome, mystical place of good and kind thoughts. It's where she keeps her, never to be lost, wonderment and innocence. The same wonderment and innocence we all keep and cling to. Some of, some of us may hold on to it secretly, some overtly, and some just need to be reminded how and where to find it again. Where, Whenever I suspect I've lost that sense of wonder, I think of a child's gleaming smile and tight squeezing hug. It's in a giggle, a kiss, a dollar found on the sidewalk. It's in a butterfly fluttering delicately across a green lawn. It's in a ladybug crawling on your finger. It's in a warm handshake, a heartfelt thank you, an unreturnable favor. It's in a misty morning sunrise and a spreading fire sunset. It's in the pleasure of giving. It's in a seed sprouting into a flower, and it's in a Walmart watch found under a pillow where a tooth was placed the night before. That's by Barry Densa. Chapter 46 Sometimes the cynics are just plain wrong. This wasn't how it was supposed to end. My laughing kids rushing around the Thanksgiving table to jump onto my lap and hug me. Warmth, love, joy, a momentary glimpse glimpse of perfection in a world spinning too fast. No, it was supposed to be different. This day was supposed to be a disaster, at least according to almost anybody I'd mentioned it to. In fact, when I said I was planning to drive to New York City for the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the standard response was sometimes stated, sometimes implied, but always... The same. What? Are you nuts? The plan was simple, at least to me. Drive into Manhattan with my wife and kids the night before, stay in a hotel, get up early to grab a good spot on the parade route, eat our Thanksgiving meal at a wonderful restaurant, drive home. They tried to warn me traffic would be hell, the hotel would be overpriced and dingy. Parking would be impossible. The crowds would be overbearing. And oh yeah, it's late November in New York. You're going to freeze. As thank- Thanksgiving approached, I almost started to believe them. I thought about canceling the whole thing, but the hotel seemed solidly non-refundable. I was stuck. So we went. Driving into, city that went into the city that Wednesday afternoon, we, saw, we did see a ton of traffic heading the other direction. Our reasonably priced low-hassle hotel was a comfrey-friendly oasis with valet parking and a doorman who helped unpack the family van. On Thanksgiving morning, I got up early and walked a couple of blocks to the parade route, carrying blankets and hoping for a front-row spot on the curb. My wife and kids stayed at the hotel getting ready, waiting for my cell phone call to find out where to meet me. It was three hours before the parade, but I couldn't find a front row spot until I noticed an opening behind a newsstand, a place everybody seemed to be ignoring, and spread my blankets. Before long, a rumor spread. The woman next to me said the reason these spots were open was because we were too close to the end of the parade route. She said the parade goes completely silent on this block to keep sound from interfering with the national TV broadcast at a reviewing stand just a few blocks away. A moment later, she was gone, having gathered up her blankets and walked uptown, where she didn't expect to find a frontmost spot, but at least she'd be sure to hear the bands and feel the drums. I almost followed her, but decided to take a chance and stay. Waiting for the parade to start over the next couple of hours, it did get crowded, but nobody seemed to mind. I hung out with families from Mississippi, New Jersey, and Brooklyn. Every time members of the NYPD would stroll down the parade route, we cheered. The bigger hams on the force responded with mock parade-style waves or a tip of the hat. My wife and kids arrived and the parade started. The crowd surged, but we were shielded by the newsstand behind us, blind luck. We leaned back and the newsstand became our own personal reviewing stand. I'm not a guy who especially likes parades, but this one blew me away. My kids got to pet the passing horses and high-five the clowns. During a lull, my daughters even held one of the guide wires of the legendary big balloons. The bands boomed. That rumor had been wrong. The silent silent mode started on the next block. The temperature was in the mid-sixties. Nobody froze. At the restaurant we still had confetti in our hair. It was the most stress-free Thanksgiving meal ever. No turkey to worry about, no plates to scrub. And when it was over, spontaneously the kids, kids hugged their daddy. Miss out on this just because something might go wrong? What? Are you nuts? That's by Nelson Penna. Chapter 47 We Can Surmount Tragedy With Love As an ordained minister, I'm always honored to be asked to bring my craft to the service of an old friend. So it was a pleasure to accept the invitation of my college pal, Peter, to perform his wedding to Selbon. In sitting down to talk about it, we knew that it was going to be a stylish, elaborate, spare-no-expense affair. Peter lived, and lived large and did so unabashedly. What we didn't know was that two weeks prior to the wedding date, terrorists would fly commercial airplanes into the sides of our city's two tallest buildings, killing, among others, friends and colleagues. As I sat in my office in those stunned days following the attacks, I thought about the wedding and about what a contrast it posed, the extravagant celebration in the wake of the unspeakable tragedy. I had a very difficult time crafting the ceremony. Words didn't come. Creativity was not in the air. I knew that we could not use an occasion such as this to dwell upon the horrors of September 11th, Nor could we charge ahead as though blissfully ignorant of them. So I called the couple and asked that we meet for dinner. Perhaps something would come of it for me. Something did. At one point during the meal I turned to Seaban and said, You have put an enormous amount of time and money and energy into this affair. You've played such close attention to seeing to it that it all happens just as you envisioned it. But in light of what has happened, how have things changed? How are you feeling about it all now? She gave me a perfect answer. Now, she said, a winsome smile crossing her face, it really doesn't matter what color the napkins are. No, it didn't. For all of the opulence and attention to detail that wants to find this wedding, the focus had shift, shifted for the better. Because now what mattered was that we would all be there, all be together family and friends would gather and again we affirm that human beings are capable of surmounting great tra- tragedy with even greater love everything else the flowers the food the music even the color corded napkins would serve as a mere window dressing granted elegant window dressing to this one undeniable truth and that's by kirk Cobell, chapter 48 you can live richly, and money has nothing to do with it. Forty sketches were due at the end of the week. As I put my things together, I lingered over my sketchbook. The cover was a bright blue and spiral bound. The pages were thick, blank, and full of possibility. It was midterms at the American University Center of Province, where I was studying abroad for my junior year in college. In lieu of classes, we had to a day to study. Outside my host family's home, I pulled the gate closed and and felt especially relaxed as I set out my usual route to school. Every day I passed the same fruit and vegetable vendor where I would sometimes stop in for a tomato or an apple and practice my grocery vocabulary. I passed the same cafe with the floor to ceiling windows where I would see the same old men sided up to the bar bar with their little espressos and morning cigarettes with the forty sketches in the back of my mind i noticed a wrought iron gate that gave entrance through a cement wall i had always taken for granted on the other side of the street feeling, feeling like i had stolen time some time sorry feeling like i had some stolen time i wandered across the street the gate was unlocked and led to stairs that immediately descended into an artfully designed courtyard Sidewalks divided the park into equal parts and joined to form a circle around the fountain in the center. The park was part of an art museum, which looked like it was just closing for the lunch hour. I set up shop on a bench, facing the fountain. As the sun warmed my face, I took off my jacket and remembered reading in a travel book that you should always dress in layers during the fall in the south of France. I took my sketchbook out of my bag and assessed the potential subjects one child racing giddily around the fountain, another dangled her hand to test the water, and a couple was picnicking in a sunny corner. Opening my book to a fresh page, I faced the fountain and started to outline the curves of the structure. I heard my painting teacher's reminder in my head, forget the intellect. She repeated the phrase so often, it was more of a mantra. There were Cézanne's words, meaning, don't think about drawing something, be open to your impression of the moment. Birds brought movement to my page. I made lines until they took form. Would flip without resignation to start to a new start, and shift position to a new composition. Deep lines splashing water, fountain, children, birds. I remember looking up and feeling my good fortune and taking note. I wasn't in it for the grades. I didn't need to be anywhere. I didn't want for anything. I was just living calmly, graciously. I'd wanted so badly to extend my stay in Aix en Provence. But there was no way. By the last week of the semester, I was literally living, <laughs> I was literally living on soup and bread, and I travelled home without a dime. But I took that day, that moment in the park with me, that moment of wanting nothing, is my most cherished possession. That's by Rachel Moistureck. Chapter 49 on your to-do list, it's a good idea to put people first. I once had a friend who said she wanted to give her kids her undevoted attention. At the time, I thought it was a funny slip of the tongue. I knew she meant undivided attention. But for some reason, her words stuck in my mind, only to return to haunt me about a week ago. It was not an unusual day, just a bit busier than normal. I was faced with the inevitable list of to-dos, planning a scouting meeting, chaperoning my son's field trip, shuttling my daughter to and from after-school activity, and getting homework done and checked. I've learned over the past seven years of parenting to juggle such things pretty well, well, most of the time, but I've also found that adding one extra to-do on my list, in this case the field trip, can be fatal. (coughs) Excuse me. Threw off the delicate balance. Oops! I can't get to the next page either. It threw off the delicate balance of my life, which left me careening from one activity to another instead of calmly striding through my day. At 4:30, I was frantically zipping my kids into their coats when, in a surprising moment of clarity, I realized that I had not wor- heard a word from my daughter since she gotten off the bus. And my old friend's words bubbled up from the depths of my memory. Undevoted attention. That was exactly what my kids had been getting that day. Although I had been doing things for them every minute since I awakened, I was too frenzied to, to so much as exchange pleasantries. And didn't they really deserve better? For that matter, didn't I? And so I stopped. I stopped cramming my daughter into her coat. I took a deep breath. And I looked deep into her eyes and apologized, and asked her to tell me, again, about her day. When she'd finished, I'd hugged her, found my son, and asked him to do the same. It took all of ten minutes. We were five minutes late for my daughter's dance class, and I was the happiest I'd been all day. That's by Laura Quadrilio Chapter 50 Sometimes it's what you don't ask for that is the very thing you need most. Sorry about that. The festivities were gone from Christmas that year in my parents' house north of Boston. Only the trappings remained. The food, the tree, the presents. Once the gifts were unwrapped, we could think of nothing to say to each other. We escaped to separate rooms. Dad to his basement computer. My sister to the TV upstairs my older brother out the door to her friends, me to the kitchen. The house seemed as silent as snow. Then I overheard my younger brother, Tom, talking to my mother in the living room. Mom, he said, you're going to be a grandmother. Oh no, she said. Sorry. Oh no, she said. Tom was 22 then with two years left of college. Kim had been his girlfriend only three months. My mother wanted to be happy for him, but wasn't. I moved to the doorway. Within a few minutes, the others came too. We hadn't truly communicated in so many years that now we struggled to do it. Tom said he wanted to do the right thing, get married, raise a family, find a job. His studies could wait. I was worried he would waste his, t- his mind for invention. Remember those wild contraptions you used to make, I said? How you always wanted to be an engineer? My sister cried. She never cries. You're my baby brother, she said. I know you think it's the right thing now, said my father, but give it more thought. I got married two weeks after college. Had you four kids within the next few years. If I had to do it again, I'd do it differently. When you're young... There's so much open to you. I missed out on it. Don't you? Tom listened to what we said, though I'm not sure what he thought. We weren't a family used to giving advice. The following summer, on August 17th, Zach was born, eight pounds, seven ounces with brown eyes that jolted like coffee beans. He was no longer just a worry. He was real. That Christmas, no one drifted to separate rooms. We stayed to watch Zach smile and gurgle and reach out to draw us near. As he grew, he learned to please, reciting Dr. Seuss stories by heart before he could read, singing Little Jack Horner to laughing applause, exclaiming over shirts and socks as if they were gifts a four-year-old wanted most in the world. He brought Christmas to our house again, all dimples and brown eyes. His voice filled with pleasure, he said, "'Isn't this great? Isn't this just great?' Because of him, it was. Because of Zack, Tom ended up staying in school so he could get a good job in robotics. He and Kim turned out to make a terrific match. They married and had a daughter who became friends with her brother Zack. All these years, it's easy to forget that Zack was once the boy whom none of us wanted. The boy who had worried our family and who in doing so made us realize we were still one. And that was by Christine Schultz. And that is actually the end of 50 Truths Worth Knowing. I love these chapters because I love how things bring family together, as that being the last one. I recently just had a baby, and while my family was very together, this little boy has brought so much joy into our life and so much laughter and sound. And I want to say sound because... Our sounds are happier. Our energy is happier. When you walk into my home, it is joy-filled. And not that it wasn't joy-filled before. There's just more joy. And his name is Mateus, which means blessed. And I named him blessed because I felt so blessed to have him. And truly, that's what he is. So what children can do with a family or what an event can do with a family is a big deal. Um, Life and death can bring together families. As we read the last story, that child brought the family together but in the early one it was death that brought that family together i don't think we always want things to be so um dramatic (laughs) but bringing family together and remembering that it's about being present as they did in that in the story regarding the wedding that sometimes it's just about everyone just coming together and the fact that we are here and we can be here and we can be together. And in light of COVID and, <coughs> I'm sorry, in light of COVID occurring and the fact that so many families aren't together, my family, we haven't been able to get together for our usual family dinners because it's the only time of year where everyone comes together. Of course, my immediate family, our little pocket, we get together, but my whole family, we have not been able to get together. I miss it so much. And during this time with COVID, I think being together is so much more appreciated. And so these stories touch my heart because of that. Because of the fact that being together is something we all took for granted. And now we can get back together and I guess through Zoom, but hopefully now that it's over or not over, but now that restrictions have changed, at least on my end of the world, we can start getting back together without fear of, being ill or getting each other sick or anything to that effect. I think there's something to be said for togetherness. There's something to be said to getting together and there's something to be said for the things that come into our lives that bring us joy and therefore bring us further together. Also I want to speak to the cynics story and there's a lot of people that always say no you can't do something. The naysayers are always there but when we lead without fear So many things can be accomplished. It is discourse, it is change that has created the world that we wanted. It was someone who decided to build a one room shelter and a two room shelter to make a change. Not the fear of it, but the desire to do so. It is the person who decided not to be in the dark anymore that therefore created the candle and in turn eventually created the light bulb. It is discourse, it is change, it is pushing away from that fear, it is ambition that broadens our world. So we're always going to have cynics, we're always going to have naysayers, but do it anyway. See what happens. And it's not a bad thing. I always say that anything that happens, if it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, it's a lesson. It is always a blessing. Look for those. Look for that silver lining. There's always a silver lining. I know that sometimes things do suck. And you're just like, oh my gosh, no. It can't be. This can't be. But there's always, there's always a lining. Look for it. Seek it. And revel in that. Revel in the lessons. Life is all about lessons, everyone. Believe me. But that is the end of 50 Truths Worth Knowing. I trust that it has broadened your mind, inspired your thoughts, or a conversation, changed your world, or entertained you. Whatever it's done for you, I trust that it has served you. And next week, we will start a new book. I want to tease you and tell you who wrote this one, so I'm going to tease you with the author, and not the title, And next week, we're starting on a James Baldwin novel. I'm so excited about this book. I'm so excited to read this James Baldwin novel with you. So please tune in next week so that we can do that. Now remember, everyone, your flame, your fire will always burn. Letting someone else's fire will never diminish yours. It will only create a larger fire. I have so enjoyed reading 50 Truths Worth Knowing with you. It's been an amazing experience. I think that this book is truly... In, well sorry, I think this book truly has 50 truths worth knowing there's so much tenements in life in this book. Thank you so much for joining me in reading it. Thank you so much for sharing it with me. Please remember to like, subscribe and follow. please tell your friends so share. please also don't forget to go to at chapter by chapter 256 on Instagram as well at Miss as Miss Felicia J. Also check out my other podcast, Love Life and a Beautiful Glass of Red Wine. Have a great day, everyone. Please enjoy your week. Take care of yourself and each other. This is Miss Felicia J. Until next time, be well, everyone.